All right, this morning we're in Colossians chapter 1, and um, we're going to continue in uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Remember that Paul probably, well, had never been to Colossae, and that's the implication of the words in his letter to them, uh, that they came to faith through the uh, presence of one of their uh, members of the community, Epaphras, who went to Ephesus and and heard the gospel there from Paul. That's what uh, appears to have happened. But uh, Paul does credit Ephesus, uh, 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 I said Ephesus again, Epaphras uh, is the one who brought the gospel to them. And uh, Paul's letter to them praises them for their relationship with the, the Lord and with each other, their love uh, for one another and uh, their faithfulness and their and their faith. And the first chapter, the first opening part of the letter primarily focuses on what are the essentials of the walk and life in Christ and that it's God's work in us and not our work. There's a work that we do and our work is seeking God being open and responsive to the things that he teaches us. That's our work. Uh, God does the work uh, in us and through us. And that's the, the direction of the, the first part of his letter. And today, what I want to look at is uh, three things. Paul's motivation in his involvement in ministry and his description of ministry. What was his ministry like? What was it about? And then what was the central message of his uh, ministry? And uh, those are the three things we're going to walk away with yet today. So we'll look first at Paul's ministry motivation. What got him up in the morning? What was it that he was seeking to accomplish? And that was to present every man complete in Christ. That's what drove everything he did. Measured the, the advancement, the progress of his efforts and the things that he was involved in by this standard. Am I presenting people complete in Christ? Are they more complete than they were yesterday? But um, I looked at the word complete and I said, well, what, what does that mean? I mean, the word complete could mean a lot of different things to people. Uh, Paul wrote in the Greek and then in the text uh, that we use to translate, the word that we translate uh, complete is teleios, teleios. And teleios is, uh, again, translated in a variety of ways, not only in the scriptures, but in this letter. Um, so I want to look at that one. It's, it's like it means to be complete, like it's a state of being finished. Everything is summed up. I've listed all the items and I've drawn a summary at the bottom. It's it's complete. Um, it's like having reached the end of a project. It's uh, like completing a journey. It's the destination. I'm there. I'm completed. Um, I've baked a perfect pie. It can't get any better. It's com- it's completely the best. It's perfect. And um, and I've grown up into maturity. There's something about my life at this point in time that says there's an arrival of some degree that I'm, com- you know, I'm mature. It just, there are a lot of things in life are complete. I can actually be responsible on occasion. Uh, I'm more complete than before. But those are different ways that this word has been used. And um, just some examples in scriptures may help us understand. We can look at the end of Colossians in chapter 4, verse 12, and it says, Epaphras who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. The word perfect is the same word translated complete. 
in chapter 1. So here he is, Taleios, uh, complete, and in here, perfect. Um, and I go to Ephesians, Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians, and he says, He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of Man, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The word mature is teleios. Complete. Perfect. And the mature man in this context is described as the full presence of Christ in us. Mature. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Mature in wisdom. Mature in the knowledge of God's will. Mature in the responsiveness of the heart. Mature in the humbleness of recognition that it's God who works in us and through us. And we're here by his grace and his mercy. I don't have to reflect much on my life uh, to know where I stand. And my hope is that God isn't done. In fact, that's the hope of a lot of people around me. At least in my family. But I'm grateful for the promise of God that I read in Romans 8, verse 29. God, for whom he foreknew, also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Uh, My loose paraphrase, actually I think it's tighter, but it's loose, is that in the beginning, God knowing who was going to come to him, foreknowledge, predestined, determined, At the beginning of time, before we were even born, that having come to him, we will be conformed to the image of his son. God has committed himself in the beginning of time to accomplish that end to all of us who have responded in faith to him. Who have heard his call, been responsive to it. We're his. He's committed himself to shape in us the likeness of Christ. Paul spoke of the confidence of this in his own personal life in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And the word perfect is the verb form, paleo. It's the same word, same word form of complete, perfect, mature. And he has committed himself, I'm confident that he will complete the work that he intends to do in me. And now I have to understand that this promise, uh, description of what God says is fact, and, and Paul's confidence that that's really happening in his life, I have to understand these two, these two verses, the thoughts that's here, in the context of a life that doesn't look very complete at times. There are things that come out of our mouth. There are things that enter our mind. There's stuff in our life that doesn't look anything like Christ. And I say, did did God have it wrong when he wrote it in this book? Do I misunderstand something here? And I think it's important that I understand that there is a completeness in Christ 
that is ours because of what he did for us on the cross. Prior to the cross, I stand condemned. Prior to the cross, I have no hope apart from God being gracious and merciful to me. But in the cross, I have the completion of any judgment that could ever come against any one of us. Any judgment that could come against us, any accusation that come against us, Jesus bore that in his body on the cross and there took the judgment for that. And he calls on us to believe him for what he did for us in the cross. And when you and I come in faith, in submission to him, in recognition of our need, believing that Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the penalty for any judgment, any sin in our life. He says we have the right to be called the children of God. He says it is accounted unto us as righteousness, that faith. So in the eyes of God the Father and in the eyes of the Son, we are perfect, complete, mature, now through faith. And I say, why doesn't it look like, or does that mean that I'm not really connected and then I have to understand in the scriptures that we're taught there's a, there's a principle here for us that we are complete in Christ and we are being completed in Christ and we will be complete in Christ. I can give you the religious terms for those, you know, but we'll pass on those for right now. I don't want to have to explain all of them to you, but it's just the simplicity of, of what the scripture teaches us is that he's done a work on our life and he's continuing to do that work in our life and we'll stand before him complete in a day in the future. I can count on that. And when stuff is messed up in my life, when things aren't the way they're supposed to be, when there's criticism in my heart towards somebody else or someone's critical of me and I'm, I'm bitter toward them and I don't want to forgive them and they don't want to apologize and all that stuff that goes on, God knows all that. And he's in the process of shaping us and cleansing us. I think that's why John recorded there in first, first John chapter 1. He says, if we say we have no sin, we got it all together, then we make God a liar because he says we're not all together. He says, but if we confess what's wrong in our life, if we agree with God concerning what's wrong in our life, he forgives us and cleanses us. I don't know how many times this pastor, I've uh, been in counseling with somebody who was just struggling in their relationship with God. And they said, but I've done this and I've done this. And I said, and what do you think God thinks about that? And I said, oh, he probably really doesn't like me at all. Or, and I'm going, you know, I read in the scripture that God in his grace and his mercy takes our sin, all the wrong and the stuff that's junk in our life. He takes all that and he throws it as far as the east is from the West. He buries it in the depths of the deepest sea. And he remembers it no more. That's God's grace. Jeremiah teaches us in Lamentation 3, I think along about verse 23, that his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I may not be complete yet. As you look at me, but God looks at me through the cross of Christ and says, Ed's complete. 
He's got work to do, but he's complete. And he's committed to work through the stuff, the tough stuff in my life, the stubbornness in my life, the, the stuff that I hang on to that doesn't belong in my life. He's committed to work me through that. And I've discovered so far that he does it in one of two ways. Either our submission and obedience to him or through the nasty consequences of my actions that are not good. One way or another, he's going to get my attention and accomplish what he wants. And I think I would choose the, the, the former. I think I would choose to be responsive to him, to love him. What is it that God has done? What has he done already for us? Uh, this is kind of a recap of last week real quick for you. One in verse 12, uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, he has qualified us as heirs. And we looked at the word qualify. Uh, we, we can run in a race because we're qualified to run in the state championship. Uh, we can enter heaven because we've been qualified through the cross of Christ. Um, we can claim a personal relationship with God because of Jesus and his cross and his work in our heart and our life. And um, this qualification is all based on his promise to us and not our performance. He's qualified us. God's already done that. He doesn't continue to measure our life based on what we are in the moment. He qualifies us on the basis of Christ's death on the cross for us and our faith in embracing him. The second thing we notice that God has done is that he rescued us. And he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Remember the... The chilly mind story that was there, the, the pit for 69 days to be in a in the cellar with no connection. <laughs> you know, uh, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness, bought, bought us. It says he redeemed us. He bought us out of slavery and set us free. He rescued us. He transferred us into his kingdom. He brought us from the pit to the surface, to the daylight. To his presence. He transferred us to his kingdom, granted us status in his kingdom as we live here and as we enter eternity with him. And he's reconciled us. The verse 22. He took all the judgment against us upon himself and granted us forgiveness and right relationship with him for eternity. He reconciled us. What was a strained relationship, what was a broken relationship of separation, he brought back together. He reconciled. You know, I'm not, um, I, I did major in Greek. It's one of, one of my major kind of things, but I can't remember a whole lot of what I do, except I know what I can look for and know where to look for it if I need it. But uh, I just, I thought it would be kind of fun to say, what does the word reconciliation mean? And it's made up of, uh, of two words. Um, change and back after. So it's change back, reconcile, to restore something that was, to change it back. And I'm going, God has done that for us. He's put us back in a relationship with him through Jesus. And we find also in verse 22 there that he presents us holy and blameless. These are things God has done for us. We didn't have a part in any of that. It's his work. So don't let guilt hang in your head. 
Don't let any pointed finger or condemnation come your way. Give it to God to deal with. I made a principle of life that's been helpful to me, and that is that if I get criticism, hear me slowly, uh, if I get criticism, forget who said it. And just listen to the criticism. Is it accurate or not? Is it true about me or not? And if it's true, deal with it. And when it's not, give it to God. Now, I don't mean that the person who was critical of me doesn't count when I say forget about who said it. I just separate in my mind who said it because I can excuse their words. Well, they don't know me any well. That's just their opinion about something. I went, so I can excuse my behavior when I keep somebody else's the criticism in my head here. Just look at what the, what's been said. And if it's true, is this God's words to me? I need to deal with this. And if it's not, let it go. God will deal with it. God has already completed us. We are complete in Christ now. In God's eyes and mind, we're complete in Christ. We are being perfected here and now. We will be complete and perfect before him in heaven. This thought uh, creates a challenge to me, and um, I'm often highly distracted in my days with all the stuff I'm doing, and I forget the truth of this statement. And so I've tried to make it a conscious effort and with notes to remind me to myself is to live like it and think like it. Ed, you are complete in Christ. Live like it. Think like it. Observe the experiences of my day, the things, the situations, what happened is my day, that I'm coming complete in Christ. And that with the humility and knowing that he is the one who did it, not me. There's a freedom and understanding that I'm already complete in him. My relationship with him is not performance-based, it's promise-based. In verse 23 in Colossians 1, um, it speaks to us, We are holy and blameless, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. I just thought, if you're reading this text, I need to address this with you. And that is that the if that's translated here uh, in our English today would be more appropriately translated since. If and it is, is the, the structure of the Greek that's here for us. If it, so these things that were complete in Christ is not conditional on if we continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away. We're complete in Christ because of God's work, not because of us. Do you see that? Don't, don't lose that statement if, in the whole context of the rest of the chapter that we're reading, it's all God's work. So the if is sense. And there are several examples I could give you in, in the New Testament, particularly, where the word if is translated, and, it, and it's if and it is. 
or sense. So sense indeed, you are continuing in the faith firmly established because God's established you. Got it? Firmly established, passive. Okay? And steadfast. That could, could be active and could be uh, passive. And not moved away. Someone else didn't move you away. It's passive, again, sense here. That since we continue in the faith firmly established, and since we are steadfast, and since we have not been moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, we know that we are complete in him. The verse continues here. Paul said, uh, uh, from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. This is where he first identifies himself as a minister. He identifies himself in the first verse as an apostle by the will of God, chosen by God to be a leader in his church for the sake of the church. And here he calls himself a minister, a worker in the church. And he has, in the verses that follow here, he has several descriptive statements concerning what does it mean to be a worker as a minister. And I just thought we'd pass through this a bit with you, just to highlight, at least that's here in the text, to help us maybe understand when we desire to serve God, to work in his behalf, to be a minister, to be a part of the church and serve in the church in some way, uh, to be his worker in the field, what does that look like? Well, in verse 24, the first thing that Paul says is that now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The first thing he references is the suffering. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament and Paul's writings, almost every writing refers to something of the suffering that he's experiencing. Uh, Probably the most significant one to me uh, now I'm going to tell you that it's Corinthians, but right now I have a, a doubt in my head. But I don't think so. I think it's still in Corinthians where he says, um, I have been shipwrecked. Um, I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been left for dead. I've been adrift. I've been all these different things. And then there is the daily care of the church. That's the last item in his list of things that have come into his life that have not been fun. And I said, it happens. I just know in my years in the pastorate of just the agony in my heart that why somebody just keeps going back to the same old tracks and repeating the phrases and mind light and thoughts that lead down into a hole in their life. Just believe God for what he says. Trust him. Find a relationship with somebody who knows what's going on in your life and can be there to be an encouragement to you and help you along the way. Do something that helps you stay on track with what is true about you and your relationship with God. You know, the, the sad thing is that sometimes in the pastor, we, I come up with some phrases that I, I've heard pastors speak of. Is that, that some people in the congregation are... are uh, 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 ignite you and and uh, and give you energy. Um, and some people in the congregation are like a battery that's drained. It's just drained out. They, they drain all the energy out of you. They don't contribute energy to your life. They drain it all out. And that can be difficult for any human being. 
And so I, I like Paul's statement, said, um, follow your leadership. Don't make it difficult for them. And I'm going, Ooh, can I understand this? Um, can I understand that the people around me in, my bo- in the body of Christ were family, were brothers and sisters, and that uh, someone may irritate me a, a fair amount of the time, but there's a high probability that I do the same to somebody else and maybe even to them. I've also discovered that what irritates me in somebody else's life is something that's in my life that I can't tolerate. That's why I recognize it so quickly. Somehow I've got to learn how to walk in God's grace and his mercy. Not only in my relationship with God, but my relationships with the rest of the body. But gratefully, that's God's intent too. So, you know, it's clear that's the end result that he's taking us to. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that in him. So there is suffering that may come. There may be difficulties. Paul expresses his suffering in almost all of his letters. As I said, here in, in reference, here I think he's in reference to his imprisonment in Rome where he wrote the letter, this letter, uh, because uh, he was in the prison because of his preaching of the gospel and supporting the believing churches. Because he had identified himself with the one Christ and who got identified with the title Christian. And when I read this statement that I do my share on behalf of the body suffering, on behalf of the body, which is the church, just meaning I'm not running from suffering and let you suffer. I'm on the front line with you. That's what I hear Paul saying at this point. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of the body, which is the church. I don't throw you out to the wolves and then I stay back in the, behind the walls. I'm out with you in the midst of everything. I share in that suffering with you. And there was a lot of persecution in the Roman Empire. <clears throat> and then he makes a statement in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Uh, may I be really clear? There was nothing uh, lacking in the death of Christ and his suffering on the cross for us. And some read that text and think, think that. Paul's making up so there's more to the suffering of Christ than, than, than just what happened on the cross. No, I think what the, I don't know how else to play this out in understanding the text and the, and the context that Paul was writing in, other than this, that uh, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Those who persecuted Jesus weren't done at the cross. Because he lives, and he lives in us and the believers that followed. And so they continue that persecution, affliction of Jesus in us. And Jesus warned us that you will have troubles in this world, because not because they hate you, but because they hate me. That was Jesus' words to us. And so in this sense, Paul is saying, I'm... I'm, I'm suffering. I'm suffering in behalf of Christ as well. I'm, I'm, others are still completing their, their affliction on Jesus in, in the suffering that I'm experiencing. I, if that's not clear, we can talk some more. But, so Paul makes this statement in terms of how does he go about doing his ministry in verse 28. We proclaim him, Jesus, 
admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So the kinds of things he did in ministry was to proclaim him, speak of him, teach people about him. Go to Acts chapter 17 and read what he had to say to the Athenians and what's been known as the Mars Hill. Uh, the, uh, the message that, uh, that Paul gave to the, uh, the pagans of, of Athens and his graciousness and the words and how he spoke of who God is and God's presence and God's involvement and our seeking after him and, uh, and of his son Jesus and uh, what Jesus did. Uh, Acts 17 is a good read for that. And how did Paul go about proclaiming and admonishing, encouraging, and teaching, and to do it with wisdom for the end result that all may be complete in Christ. He says in verse 29, For this purpose, that every man would be complete in Christ, I also labor striving. I'm not casual about this. I'm determined about it. I labor and I strive according to his power, which mightily works within me. Expression again that Paul's not dependent on his ability, his skills, his energy, his influence. He's dependent on God working through him. But he speaks God's words. He encourages people to receive God's words. And then out of this ministry, we're going to lift the central message of Paul's life and of God. Paul's message in in verse 25 says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, okay, that is the word of God. That is the mystery. The word of God, that is the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been made manifest to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles, which is... The word of God, the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In my college days, I remember reading a book. You may have heard of it. You're that old. Uh, Are you running with me, Jesus? Really cool book. And it encouraged people to be uh, conscious of uh, Jesus and, and to make sure that, you know, I know where he's headed and I'm going where he's gone. Are you running with me, Jesus, was the, the title of the book. <clears throat> but as I go back and I've reread the book and I've reflected on the, the thought, the intent of this book, I think there was something missing. The question is not, are you running with me, Jesus? The question is, are you aware that I'm in you? <laughs> Am I aware that Jesus is in me? He's not apart from me any time. He lives and dwells in me by his spirit. (laughs) 
Is there any place I can go where he isn't? Is there anything that happens in my life that he doesn't know? Is there anything that needs to happen that he cannot do? And I'm present with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm in you. What hope is that? That is grand hope. That you and I can know with confidence and certainty in all the events of our life that come to us and all the things that are initiated out of us. Jesus is with us. He is in us. To the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, Paul said this to the believers. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Are there other texts we could go to as to how would you check to see? Am I really a believer or not? Uh, don't let that enemy point a finger at you. Have you received what Jesus did for you in the cross? Have you recognized your need of his death in your behalf? Have you acknowledged that that's what he did for you? You're his. But he says, test yourself, examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Right now. I'm going to say something that's a little goofy on my part, but uh, when I stand up to speak, I'm fully conscious of the fact that Jesus is here. And I'm representing him with my mouth. My life, my words, my, he's here. Present. Scripture says to seek him. I, I think better just to open your eyes. <laughs> he's present here for us. John told the disciples, the last, or Jesus told the disciples, and recorded in John, the, um, Last night that Jesus was with his disciples, it says in John fifteen five, I am the vine, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, I'm in you. That's where fruit comes out of our life. The evidence of his presence the production of things that happen around those who would come to faith all happens because of his presence in us. And in believing this was Paul's confidence in Philippians 4 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through the Ephesians, Paul said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And again, in our text here in Colossians, Paul said, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. To the Thessalonians, Paul said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Telios. 
May it be preserved complete without blame at your coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Rest in him. Live in him. Be excited about that. Be looking expectant. Be looking forward to what God's going to do in situations in your life. Because he will. He acts on our behalf. Paul's testimony is this to the Philippians. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Telios. I'm not there yet. But I press on so that I may lay hold on that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I'm not arrived. I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Perfection is the upward call. It's common. I just, um, you and I will walk complete in Christ as, as we walk before him and in him, submissive to him. Responsive to him. From a message a week ago, two weeks ago. What does God ask of us? Uh, from Colossians 1.23. Believe what God has done. Continue in the faith, it says. Believe what God has done. Be firmly established. Be steadfast. You are firmly established by him and you are steadfast in him. We've talked about that today. Hebrews 10.23 parallels that passage. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us not be moved away from that hope that we have in the gospel of Christ. So I leave you with the thought, be intentional. It's a good thing for a year. Be intentional in your pursuit of God and in your responsiveness to him. And good things will happen in you and through you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement, the hope that's ours because of what you've given done and, and what, what you're doing in us. Help us, Lord, just to have eyes to see things as you see them, to see ourselves as you see us, to see our world as you see it. Lord, may we be responsive to to you. May we pursue you, Lord. Grant us ears to hear your voice. Grant us eyes and understanding as we read your word. And Lord, grant us a heart of compassion for those around us who have yet to find you, to know you. Thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. And we thank you in Jesus. Amen. Hey, uh, thank you for being here this morning. Enjoy your day. Uh, See you back here tonight, huh? All right.